Hello everyone, you are listening to the Igbo Initiative podcast with Ugochi Onyewu. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast, where we celebrate all things Igbo. We speak to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or who are friends of Igbo culture. In today's episode, we have an incredible discussion with Dr. Adeze Inekwechi. Adeze was born in New Jersey and went to elementary school in Nigeria. Adeze has experienced a highly successful career in a relatively short time. She started her career at the Congressional Budget Office, where she analyzed the federal budget and wrote about setting priorities for our future. A bit over a decade later, she went on to lead health programs at the White House Office of Management and Budget under President Obama and worked across the entire federal health landscape. Today, she is the president of Impact International and its subsidiaries. In addition, she is a research associate professor at a university in Washington, D.C. In today's discussion, we cover a number of valuable nuggets. Adeze talks about the importance of a sponsor. She talks about not allowing fear to dictate the direction that you take and provides an interesting insight about not being grateful in the workplace. Adeze encourages us to figure out what makes us happy and to focus on that. She believes that failure is a necessary part of success and speaks about just going for it. Hi, Adeze. It's so nice to talk to you this evening. How are you doing? I am doing very well, Gucci. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no, thank you for joining. I know you're busy and I'm really excited to talk to you today. So really, you're very welcome and I'm so excited. Maybe we can just start off by you, the usual way, just giving us some background. You know, what part of Igbo mm-hmm. land were you born? Are you from? Did you grow up in the mm-hmm. East? Do you speak Igbo fluently? Talk to us mm-hmm. a little bit about your background, please. Sure. So I am, uh, I was born in the United States. I was born here okay. in New Jersey. And uh, I moved back so the, my formative years, my very early formative years were spent in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I moved back for elementary school, preschool and elementary school mm-hmm. to Nsoka. My, parent, my, my father was faculty at the University of Nigeria, mm-hmm. Nsoka. Mm-hmm. So I grew up, those early years, I grew up in the East uh, primarily. And then I moved back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and com- you know, in June when I was in junior high, hmm. and I've been here ever since. Wow! So I, so I, I but you know, Nsoka was such an, a critical part of my 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 life, and still is. Mm. So much of my identity mm. was formed there, mm. and uh, you know, and was shaped there. Mm. But I have very uh, vivid memories of moving back to Nsoka when I was a kid. I remember learning Igbo. I remember. My mom used to take walks, something that people just didn't do. My mom used to do that, and she'll mm. always take... My mom used to take us everywhere, mm. which is sort of a U.S. thing, but yes. she was still accustomed to having kids uh, in the U.S. It took her a while to adjust to leaving the kids at home. Mm. 
But I remember those transitions. Mm. Uh, my family, my father is from a Nise, Nise, Oka local government area in Anambra State. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So that, to me, is our home. Mm. My mom is from Adazin, which is not too far. Mm-hmm. So um, we would go home pretty frequently mm-hmm. um, and and don't do that as often now. Mm. But, uh, you know, that is that is home. So Adazin, if we're from Nise, is how I introduce that's how I introduce myself. Yeah, I love it. I love um, it. I speak Igbo. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I speak Igbo fluently. Good. Um, and uh, my Igbo was actually perfected here. My Igbo was pretty good, obviously, from having grown up in part mm. in Ansoka. But I had started to forget quite a bit through junior high and high school. Mm. And my parents insisted that we speak Igbo in the house. Yeah. And if you stood there and you stuttered and you couldn't figure out what you needed to say, my dad would make you stand there till you figured it out. <laughs> so it was, yeah. And you try to leave. He's like, no, you clearly had something important to say. So mm. You have to stand here and, and state your case or your issue mm. in evil. Mm. So my siblings and I all speak evil. That's great. Still, and it never really left us. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So you're a campus kid and you speak Igbo fluently. And by the way, we'll be throwing in a few words here and there throughout this, the course of this of interview. Course. So I'm really excited. Especially when we get to the point where you told me this story um, before when your father had told you wherever you find a seat, you sit there. I want you to sit. When we get to that part, I want you to say in Igbo because I just, I just love that. I love that. So oh, sure. <laughs> sure. So take us <laughs> through your journey, Adeze. Take us through your journey to where you are today, your background. What did you study? Mm-hmm. You say you told us when you moved to the U.S., but talk a little bit about what your field of study was. Yeah. So, you know, my, I, you know, I took a little bit of a scenic route. My undergraduate is in African-American studies and African studies, nice. actually. So I was a pretty strong humanities major. Mm-hmm. I loved literature, history, anthropology, and, um, you know, I started off in business. I started off as a business major, and that was fine. Mm. I just really preferred the history Mm. and the cultural studies. And also, for me, college was a time to sort of form, like really fully form my identity. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of that exploration as to what it means to be black, mm. what it means to be African, what it means to be an African woman, what does empowerment mean? Mm. You know, I grew up in the 90s, early 90s, where there was just so much turmoil happening. You know, Anita Hill, like, mm-hmm. this, you know, had happened. And it just, it was just such a searing image for me, I remember, mm. as to what it means for a black woman to sit up there and be you know, harass is really yeah. to put it mildly. And, right. Uh, you know, days and days. I just, I remember as a young person watching that and mm. just feeling so bad. Mm. Um, and there were so many other examples. But, you know, again, that comes with having grown up here yeah. in, the, in the U.S. Mm. Um, so when I went to college, for me, just having a clear understanding of who I am and who I am in the world became an over it just became such a powerful desire I just I couldn't shake it Mm. so for me it was a matter of necessity that Mm. I majored in what I did and Mm. I loved it I loved Mm. every minute of it yeah but I also knew that I loved public policy no I I loved public policy and civics so I've always been interested in that since I was in eighth grade pretty much and when I was an undergrad 
I discovered the channel, right, with the place where I could go to, to pursue that type of work. I couldn't even quite articulate what I wanted to do. Mm. But I knew public policy. Once I discovered public policy, I was like, oh, okay, I think I'll do a master's in public policy. Mm. And I said, well, it's a terminal degree. An MPP is a terminal degree. I will get a job. I'll do mm. something, and I'll be able to work in the public sector. Yeah. And that was pretty much what I knew. So I did that. I mean, I, I graduated from undergrad worked for a year, mm-hmm. went back to graduate school, got my MPP, mm-hmm. and therein began my career. I started off at the Congressional Budget Office, which is a pretty elite agency mm-hmm. in the U.S. federal government to get a job in. I was, you know, it was a numbers kind of job, and mm-hmm. it was policy-oriented. It was fantastic. So I honestly, if you'd asked me, lots of people at CBO start there and retire there. I thought mm-hmm. that I was going to be one of those people. Yeah. I would just figure out how to do something that interests me and everything interested me. So mm-hmm. I was prepared, except, you know, sometimes life takes over, you know. I met someone, uh, you know, got married. Mm-hmm. He had other plans and mm-hmm. I had to find a way to accommodate, you know, basically fit my plans into his yeah. plans. Yeah. And so we ended up moving back to the Midwest because at this point I was in Washington, D.C. Okay. And once I did that, I needed something to do. (laughs) (laughs) I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life. So graduate school came calling again. And I thought, you know, I want to stay in the same vein, the same policy vein. But I hadn't figured out whether I wanted to pick a specific subject area. Mm -hmm. Healthcare was actually still pretty distant uh, to a a degree because I really wanted to do public finance, actually. Mm. Which is the study of basically tax, it's basically taxation, basically the distribution of public resources. Mm-hmm. So the collections, which is revenues and then mm-hmm. expenditures. Right. Uh, that was my passion, mm. actually, when I was doing my master's, which is a, such a geeky thing to say, <laughs> but that's what I love. Right. Um, <laughs> I found it super interesting at the time because internet, I, e-commerce was pretty new. Yes. Yeah. If you think back to like 1999, I'm yeah. sort of dating myself here. Yeah. But back in 99, 98, e-commerce was new. So it was all the rage. How mm. are we going to tax the commerce that happens through these, this medium? Mm. And who is it going to go to? Which entities? Which mm. municipalities? And right, right. I found those fascinating discussions. <laughs> and I wanted to do that for a PhD. Um, it didn't work out that way. I ended up picking healthcare because the school I was attending didn't have you know, the, the PhD in public policy mm. or public finance okay. specifically. Okay. So I, I thought, well, healthcare finance is pretty cool. And in fact, when we think about our budgetary pressures in the United States and the, some of the, the main issues that really drive um, the budget, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, the future, like what, what, what is really shaping what our, what our fiscal picture looks like? Mm-hmm. It was always healthcare. It was Medicare and Medicaid, yeah. Medicare being the, health insurance program for older adults, Medicaid mm-hmm. being the health insurance program for the indigent and mm-hmm. for the poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, actually, I really want to kind of do this. This is, this is such a key driver. Mm. So I picked it, not, be, not initially because it was like, you know, I felt an overwhelming desire. Mm. I just thought, yeah, this is a good thing to do. Mm. Except mm. I developed a passion for it almost mm. immediately. Mm. So in some ways, it probably picked me. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to do a PhD in anything if you don't love it, you know, because yes. you're going to be doing it for years yes. and yes. <laughs> you're going to be an expert on a narrow issue. <laughs> yes. You got to love it. You do. You so, do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. So that's how I ended up with a PhD in health services and policy, focusing mm. on the aging population and their mm. use of long-term care services mm. and other services, obviously, in the mm. healthcare system. Mm. And mm. the rest is history. I finished, I did a postdoc at University of Chicago, okay. um, which essentially confirmed for me that I didn't want to be an academic, which my parents had asked us not to be academic because <laughs> they just thought we could all do something else. Right. <laughs> Um, so that was a confirm, you know, that sort of confirmed my path, not my decision not to go in that direction. So mm. I went back into policy. Mm. Uh, and so policy making takes various forms. I went into policy analysis. I worked at the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some, you know, some of the work in Chicago. I did a couple of tours in Chicago mm-hmm. and then moved back to D.C. for MedPAC. And just a number of other jobs that basically expose me and, you know, to, to various issues, whether mm. it's hospital payments, hospital policy, mm. uh, clinical comparative effectiveness research and the extent to which the federal government can support those types of studies mm. for better decision making, mm. just general health services research. Right. And yeah. that's how I was in one of those places when I got a call to join the Obama administration. You know, Mm -hmm. one thing just led to another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting as you talk, you know, I get the sense that everything happened so quickly, like your career really accelerated, like a lot quicker than you probably would have imagined, right? So you get the call. How do you think that happened? What what put you in that position to where people are calling you? Mm-hmm. It's not even like you are made aware and you try and go knocking on doors. People are calling you mm-hmm. to come and join an administration. Why do you think that happened? You know, I feel like I, so I, there's one, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I know, well, I know where, I know exactly where I, where I was. Um, it was actually, because I did ask, you know, how did how were, how were, how did people get to know about me? I, I, I'm mm. not a, you know, I'm not a, uh, I don't seek attention. My work mm. is not the, you know, it's not like this is like the most glamorous thing, right, you know, right, right. largely academic and policy analysis. I mean, that's the track I took mm. uh, initially. And, um, you know, I was, a, I was a managing consultant at a company called Lewin, which is an Optum company, mm. you know, leading evaluations of bundled payments for care. I mean, mm-hmm. people's eyes are glazing over as I'm talking about this. But if you think <laughs> about how we pay for healthcare systems, how do we pay for healthcare services? You know, we were try- we've been trying, we've been on this march to move away from what we call fee for service, which mm-hmm. is basically paying for volume right. of services towards something that's a little bit more value-based mm-hmm. or where we pay for what we want mm-hmm. and what we need, right. which is high-quality care that is needed and, necess- and medically necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just trying to explain it in layman's terms mm-hmm. here. But mm-hmm. I was knee-deep in that work at a company that was uh, essentially a government contractor and, you know, got a random call saying, can you meet at 7 o'clock in the morning Wow. with somebody? I said, no. <laughs> Can you, are you, you know, another call came back. Are you interested in government? I said, no, I'm not mm. interested in government. Mm. I left not ago. I'm good. I was very happy with my job. Mm. But a long story short, I did ask. I said, you know, how, how did I get on a list? The list mm. was reasonably long, I later learned. Mm. And it turned out that in one of my positions, I was frequently presenting, pub, doing public presentations. Mm. And caught the attention of somebody who basically told somebody else about me, saying, oh, 
you know how people talk. Oh, you know, you should you should mm. know her. Mm. Covering outpatient therapy and you know rural health, etc. Wow, you mm. should know. Her. Mm. Um, I was not a political. I wasn't necessarily part of the crew that had worked the campaign. Mm. Yeah, I had. But I hadn't done anything extensive. Hmm. I had I had a family. I just had a many many other commitments. Right. So I, I needed something. You know, my path was just a little bit different. But once I was called, eventually, I went over. You know, I remember my very first interview. I had to walk literally through the front door of the White House on the hmm. West Wing. Hmm. You know, from the front. You know, walking right through the press. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, where the White House press corps stands. Yes. yes. Now I just remember thinking, my goodness, this is so surreal. Like, how am I here? You know, you see the Secret Service agents on top of the building, on top of the White House, Mm -hmm. patrolling. I was like, I just remember thinking just weird thoughts. Like, Mm. how how am I here? Mm. Lo and behold, I'm called a few weeks later that you're it. Your job would be to run and to lead domestic health at the White House Office of Management and Budget. And, wow. you know, my mom said to me, my mom was here at the time. She says that she wasn't here in Igbo. She was saying, You heard what I said. I did. Yes. You understand? Yeah. So yeah. The tra- translation, Tra- if she yes. wasn't here to witness it, she wouldn't she have believed. She would have believed it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that's amazing. what it that's what happened. Mm, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about what your time was like. Talk about your role a little bit more, if you would. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um so the role was the so OMB is the Office of Management and Budget, which basically is the, the, the nucleus of the federal government. It's a White House agency. It is primarily staffed with career officials. Mm-hmm. Every single management, uh, as well as budgetary uh, um, initiative, large or small, has to go through the Office of Management and Budget. So you've got a management side, like, you know, procurement, uh, CIO, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the manage, basically the management of any company, mm-hmm. same thing, we've got a similar structure in the federal government. Mm-hmm. Then on the budget side, you've got every single budgetary decision or, you know, initiative or, you know, what we call rules, rulemaking, mm-hmm. which governs how... Uh, we administer programs and pay for them. Every mm. single one has to run through OMB. Mm. So it's the center of government. Right. And it's right. within the executive branch. It's within mm-hmm. the executive office of the president. Mm-hmm. So my role was to be the lead on healthcare. Okay. Mm. I was an associate director at OMB. Mm. I was responsible for health programs. Mm. Domestic health includes CMS, which is Centers for Medicare and Medicaid mm-hmm. Services which governs Medicare and Medicaid, mm-hmm. which are the largest. Those, are tr- those two alone are over a trillion dollars in expenditures <laughs> per year. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So the health portfolio is the largest, uh, perhaps second only to national security. Mm-hmm. But the healthcare portfolio is the most significant and sprawling. Hmm. Um, it governs NIH, which funds how mm-hmm. we conduct, basically funds biomedical 
Research, the largest mm-hmm. funder of biomedical research in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. The NIH budget right now is about $36 billion, just wow. to give you a sense of the yeah. scale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, CMS, I've already mentioned, CDC, the Centers for Disease Control mm-hmm. and Prevention, mm-hmm. which is our public health arm. SAMHSA, which is mental health and um, mental health and substance abuse uh, uh, services. Mm. Uh, HRSA, Her- Health Resources, which governs workforce. So, Every single domestic, there's several that I haven't mentioned, mm-hmm. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, FDA, Food and Drug Administration, all of those agencies and operating divisions fell under my purview. Wow. And that policies governing, mm-hmm. um, any policies being promulgated by any of them mm-hmm. at HHS, budgetary decisions by all of them, hmm. not to mention the public health crises that we would have faced, that we faced, <laughs> yes. Zika, yes. Ebola. Yes. Cancer, wow. opioids, every mm. single thing that we needed to respond to that mm. weren't necessarily part of some, you know, uh, they weren't planned for. Um, every single one of those fell under my, my purview. So the wow. job was literally 24-7. Yes. yes. Uh, it required a great deal of intellectual dexterity. Mm. It required a great deal of physical stamina because you're mm. booked, you mm. know, you're on 24-7. Mm. Uh, you are operating uh, at a, you know, to a degree that requires a significant amount of personal sacrifice. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, yeah you're not within mm. an agency. Even, I mean, the agency jobs are not easy, but yeah. the OMB pad, mm. called the pad, the OMB pad job is really quite unique. Mm-hmm. So when I took the job, I did not, fully appreciate what I was walking into, but it was crystal clear to me within the first two days, Mm -hmm. literally, it just, it's instant. It hits you like a ton of bricks. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I was, but I was was also told this is the the hardest job you will ever love. (laughs) And that absolutely turned out to be true. I loved every minute of Mm -hmm. that position. Yeah. I found it to be grueling at times. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, not just in terms of dealing with folks, because it's always mm. hard to make hard decisions, but mm. the decisions were particularly hard mm. because mm. you're often in a position to, to say that we can't do something because yes. it's, you know, remember, this is OMB. Yeah. It's usually money. Yes. And it's rare that you can do everything that people want you to do. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also I was in a position to make decisions that affected millions of lives. Yeah. And I, I, those decisions are hard. They're very consequential. Mm. So I I would never sleep well. Oh my goodness. Hoping that I made the right decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were life and death. Insurance or no insurance. Yeah. You know, a drug or no drug. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're doing it right, you you should not be sleeping (laughs) soundly all the time because, you know, you could make the wrong decision. Right, right. How did you prevent yourself from just being overwhelmed? Because just listening to you, I'm just wondering how, I mean, it's like you look at everything. I'm sure it was at times you were completely overwhelmed. How did you break it down to Mm -hmm. manageable chunks, if that makes sense? Hour by hour. Mm. No, literally, you just have to put one foot forward. Um, you know, I would look at my calendar for, you know, I, I, some, some leaders get briefing books, like right now in my, you know, in my role, I can take something back and read it. I could never really do that at this job because the job never really stopped. Mm -hmm. I never really stopped working. Mm. The phone calls would come through 1130. So I would just take it a day at a time. Also, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in these roles, 
you know that it will end. Mm. It's not mm. a job you can do for three years yes. at all. Yes. I mean, the average tenure, I believe, is 18 months. Mm. I lasted a little bit longer because I closed, mm. but mm-hmm. um, mm. they burn you out. So if you can mm. just remember mm. that this is this will end, mm. it helps you sort of pace yourself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. keep things in perspective. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. So you mentioned that you closed. You, that means you were there till the end of the administration, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Turned out the lights, wow. literally. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The worst. I will never do that again. <laughs> yeah, it's emotionally just like, oh, torture. It's terrible. I know. <laughs> I can only, I really only imagine. I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah. Wow, that was you know it's yeah, just so. it's it just it's just so great to to hear stories like this. One of the reasons I love doing this because it's just amazing. That's so, it's so amazing. So tell us a little bit. I I, I almost don't want to move on. We could spend the whole time just talking about your time <laughs> in the White House, but I want to know because I I do want to um, move on a little bit to talk about some other aspects of how you view the world and how you view career. Um, so tell us a little bit about your role post Obama administration. What are you doing now? Sure. So I took a position initially as in a small consulting firm. I was a vice president, you know, working on a lot of just a, a variety of policy issues, mm-hmm. supporting clients primarily in the private sector. So health systems, large, you know, professional societies. And that was really nice. It was sort of a good way, a good place to sort of to do interesting work, mm-hmm. work that was a little bit different from what I'd done in the past. It wasn't as academic. Mm-hmm. And to reassess. Mm. I also started to teach. Mm. And so I had a couple of academic appointments, one at, you know, just uh, school here in D.C. Mm-hmm. And then I also taught at uh, another a medical school in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was a kid in a candy store, <laughs> just... Re- rediscovering mm-hmm. what what interests me mm. uh, professionally because I had been, you know, working for the president mm. of the United States. Mm. You don't get a chance to dabble. You're mm. doing that full time. You're course. not teaching. You know, you're not. You're not. Yeah. There's no side. Yes. There's no side hustle. Yes. So, um, I did. So, so I did that for a couple of years, and then m- more recently, I was tapped to be the president of a company called Impact, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I-M-P-A-Q, which mm-hmm. is a consulting firm, roughly 400 people, mm-hmm. um, you know, com- composed of a three, three separate entities, Impact International, which has our healthcare practice for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, a, a workforce company that focuses on workforce training, job mm-hmm. training, mm-hmm. et cetera, for the Department of Labor, mm-hmm. and then an, a company called Ascend, which is our data and data analytics and technology platform, you know, uh, platform Mm -hmm. to serve not just Department of Labor clients, but also Department of Health and Human Services. So Mm. I'm the president of this this firm, Mm -hmm. uh, roughly 350 people reporting up to me. Mm -hmm. And it's just been, you know, again, 65% of our business is healthcare. So in our core area of work, that happens to be a place where I have some subject matter expertise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it does, it does, it is, this role does sort of take me very firmly in the executive role, which mm-hmm. I had done in the federal government, but this, I'm doing it now in the private sector. Mm-hmm. And um, so I still get to do, I still get to, you know, to geek out, as we say. 
with my colleagues in terms yeah. of talking about research methodologies mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, you know, the content areas that we tend to work on. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, I get to do, uh, you know, executive management type mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're thinking about strategy, mm-hmm. uh, business development in very interesting and unique ways, mm-hmm. engaging our clients, client services, mm-hmm. anticipating our clients' needs, uh, you know, pitching, you name it, uh, you know, I, of course, staffing, etc. Yes, yes. Um, you know, yes. I, I get to do all of those things. So wow. that's been, that's been, that's been fun. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of segueing into this because this is kind of the part of the discussion where I really want to pick your brains. Um, you, as you know, I met you at a, at a networking event uh, where you were on the panel and you spoke about women and sponsorship. Um, And I would like Mm -hmm. you to kind of talk to the audience because obviously you're very familiar with the concept. Uh, You're very successful in your career. Talk to the audience about the importance of having a sponsor and the importance of sponsorship as part of your career. I I found it really to be the difference often. Um, I I think it's very important to to do good work Mm-hmm. It's very important to be to seek good opportunities. You know, before we even get to the sponsorship mm-hmm. issue, I mean, I do think that there are a few things that people should do mm-hmm. if they want to advance. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, you know, we shouldn't shy away from the hard jobs. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't even know to articulate. I never really said that to myself. I just sort of, it, it was just sort of within. You know, I, I just sort of knew it when I took my first job at the Congressional Budget Office. I was very intimidated, actually. Mm. I never considered myself a numbers person. I'm mm. not a math genius mm. by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Congressional Budget Office is all about numbers. Mm-hmm. And to, to be able to write anything, you have to be extremely comfortable with numbers. Mm. And I don't know that I necessarily was. Mm. But the fact that I landed the job, first of all, the interview, it was pretty elite. It, it was really an honor. I said, you know what? I am just going to have to get comfortable with mm-hmm. this. And, you, you know, I can't let fear, you know, keep me away from an opportunity mm-hmm. that could certainly be the difference between a successful career in policy and, and, and you know, versus, not, versus a less successful one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So without really saying that to myself, that's sort of how I have moved through my career, just like the job I have right now. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think I was going to be president of a fairly sizable company. Mm-hmm. But when the opportunity came, the first question I asked was, are you sure this is the offer you want to make? <laughs> and he looked at me and said, yes. I was mm-hmm. like, because it just, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but then I thought to myself, no, no, this, this, consider what is before you. Mm-hmm. Do not let fear dictate mm-hmm. which, you know, which, which direction you go in. If mm-hmm. you know that you have the prerequisite skills, mm-hmm move forward, mm. move forward, take mm. a leap, do mm. your absolute best. You know, mm. as my dad will always say, people that do these jobs don't have to agree. <laughs> so if it means working hard, you just work hard. It's exactly. That's <laughs> exactly. It's as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> say it in evil. I want to hear you say it in evil. People that have, <laughs> that get oh, these jobs don't oh. have two heads. <laughs> yes. They'll say, he'll, my dad will always say this to us because we'll come home in elementary school or high school, and you're complaining because you didn't do so well, mm-hmm. and he'll ask you, did somebody do well? Yeah. You say yes. Yeah. He'll now say, describe the person. Mm-hmm. 
You then describe the person. He'll wait. He'll just look at you. He'll say, "I'm gonna check you. I'm not with you now. Don't wait this now." You look at him like, "What? What do you mean?" The question, of course, is, "I'm waiting for you to tell me he's got two heads. Yes. He's got two heads." And you're like, "What? How ridiculous?" He's like, "No, I'm waiting. That's what I've been waiting for. Keep on, I'm not with you now." Okay. So he didn't need a What do you hear? What do you hold when you went wrong? So not laziness, of course. It takes every African friend. Yes, like you're so lazy. That you're just yes, lazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to go back and work hard. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, so back to the the importance of having a sponsor. How would you sponsor. recommend mm-hmm. people go about actually identifying a sponsor and having somebody agree to be a sponsor? Yeah. So, you know, I don't think there's any recipe necessarily i just think you know we have to we have to be open to a sponsor that could come in any number of packages you know if you're a woman be open to having a mentor it's actually more than a mentor it's really a sponsor mm-hmm. you know someone who could help you navigate first of all help open doors very specifically open doors for you and perhaps help you navigate a particular environment Mm -hmm. and that person could be a man it could be Mm -hmm. a woman Mm -hmm. it could be a person of any any race or ethnic Mm -hmm. background Mm -hmm. it could come that person could come in any package they Mm -hmm. could be very senior they could be mid-level so my recommendation what has worked for me is I have been very fortunate to have sponsors I think you know, people have to like you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. think we, we state this enough. Mm-hmm. People have to really like you. There are yeah. a lot of smart people in the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's necessarily all that is required. You have to be a pleasant person. Mm-hmm. And you have to, people have to feel like they can trust you. They can have a conversation with you that is frank and open. Mm-hmm. And you won't take it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I think a sponsor, you know, a sponsor who's going to take their time and their energy, and some capital. They have to spend some capital, right, mm-hmm. to expose you to other people, some of their colleagues, or to mm-hmm. open doors for you. Mm-hmm. They have to trust that you will go there and not embarrass them, which is yes. that you'd be pleasant, you yeah. do good work, you will make other people want to work with you, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. In return, I think you have to demonstrate that you appreciate that you're eager that you that you're eager to to, to receive their help and mm-hmm. to, to, to their good counsel mm-hmm. that you appreciate it. You have to, you know, if, you, if you're trying to identify a sponsor, I've seen a couple of young people do this to me. They want me to mentor them, guide them, perhaps even sponsor them. Mm-hmm. But then they expect me to be the one, like a couple of, one, one young lady like canceled on me, you know, it takes a lot to get on my calendar these days. Yeah. And like last minute canceled on me, no, no heads up, no nothing. And I was shocked. I was genuinely shocked by that. Wow. Yeah. Um, Cause that's just not something I would ever consider. Right. I mean, I would have to lose a leg. I know. To miss right. a meeting. Right. <laughs> with no, my like sponsor. Yes. So just, it, it's, it, and of course, after that, I, you know, I thought, wow, there's no, there's mm-hmm. just no way, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I'm not, you know, this is, so you have to make people want to go out of their way mm-hmm. to accommodate you. Because believe me, the person who's in a position to serve as your sponsor is usually very busy mm-hmm. and probably traveling a lot and they have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You have to be very respectful. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Very respectful of their time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, after that, it's pretty much natural. It's just a question of, 
being open and hopefully finding an opportunity where you can connect with someone mm. who's in a position to help you navigate uh, professionally. Mm. Mm. There was something else you talked about um, at this event a couple of weeks ago. You talked about women being so grateful. And it, it really struck me when you said this, women being so grateful sometimes to be where they are, that it's almost like they're apologizing mm-hmm. for being in the room, right? You walk into a meeting and it's almost mm-hmm. like you have this attitude of, oh, I shouldn't really be here, but I'm so grateful to be here. And then yeah. you mentioned, and then going back to your dad again, and I'd like you to say, Inivo, uh, your dad yeah. you mentioned something about your father saying, wherever you find a seat to sit, you sit there because you deserve to be yeah. there. And that really struck me. So talk about that. It's interesting. So when we were younger, I grew up in Iowa, okay? Mm. Pretty much you can go a month at the time when I was in Iowa. You can go a month and I see another brown mm-hmm. brown face. Like mm-hmm. it, it was as all white as you could get back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are places that were a little bit more acute, but it was pretty <laughs> acute. Right. Um, so we, as you can imagine, you know, we were, I in particular was subjected to a whole lot of nonsense, mm. right? Racism shocking comments, mm. you know, that kids would sort of lob my way. So Iowa City was tough. Mm. My parents countered that in a way that I think was just so effective. So first of all, our sense of identity, it was just their mission. Mm. Not, none of, every, all of us have Igbo names. There was no shortening. Mm-hmm. What is your American name? My parents say no. I, I tell them no such thing. If they can't pronounce that, then that's too bad. Mm-hmm. They just have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I grew up from a pretty young age being very, very solid in who mm. I was. And my dad would say, you know where you come from. Nenni sit on the map. Nenni sit on the map. This is where you come from. These people don't know anything about it. But it is incumbent upon them to find out, not for you to mold and reshape yourself to be something that fits their own definition. That is not why we're here. So all of us grew up that way. I think just out of necessity. Now, I'm now aware that sometimes people sort of shift and try to become something that they're not. Mm. For my parents, it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you split that to sort of as I grew up a little bit more, you know, went to high school, went to college, and there obviously different things will trigger this conversation. My dad would say, mm-hmm. my dad in particular, mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah. So despite the fact that I was born here and I was a citizen, he would always say, because my parents are immigrants. Yes. So it's like, mm-hmm. it, if you work hard, so you lose, of course, education was the end all be all. Of course, yes. Education was yes. the end all be all yes. in, my, in our household. Yes. Be a good person. Yes. So go and read. Yes. So it'll say and build your foundation. Without Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 
right? As you advance, wherever you find yourself, Buloche Nodan would have earned it. That's my parents. Yeah, I love it. Buloche Nodan. At that spot, sit down comfortably. Anything you get, by then, you dash again. Yes, yes. You understand? So that's my parents. That's how we grew up as kids, right? That you will work hard, you will attain mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. wherever you find yourself. If you rise, you mm-hmm. would have earned it. Yeah. You should yeah. not let anyone tell you that you don't belong there, yes. no matter yes. what. You yes. take your seat. Yes. Now, fast forward 25 years later, perhaps, a sponsor of mine called me. I was, you know, was just, I had a sponsor, I was in a meeting. Mm hmm. And he said the same thing to me. He's mm. not my father. He mm. is, you know, African-American man mm. who has done very well, mm-hmm. right, in, in, in his own career. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you're going to find yourself, and I'm pretty advanced. At this point, I think I was even at the White House at the time. Mm-hmm. So I had a sponsor, at, you know, I still, I still do. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you're going to find yourself. I said African-American. People should be very clear. It's not the president. So right. it's not Barack Obama. <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear. Just in case um, they were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> just in case people are guessing. Um, so someone who was not even part of the administration, mm-hmm. but he said to me, you're going to find yourself in a lot of rooms mm. where you will be still the youngest, mm. the, the, the one or maybe the second woman, perhaps, mm-hmm. the only uh, person of color, mm-hmm. certainly the only black person. Mm-hmm. So that's typical. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you get in those rooms, mm. chances are the other woman is grateful to mm. be there. Mm. Do not adopt that mentality. Mm. I'm happy. He said, be happy that you're there. Mm. Be happy that you're in the room. Mm. But don't be grateful. He said, I can guarantee you none of the other men are grateful yes. to be there. Yes. They're yes. happy to be there. They're happy to serve. Mm-hmm. They intend to maximize whatever, you know, whatever it is, their time, their utility, et cetera, their networking. Because mm-hmm. that's the mentality you need to adopt. Mm-hmm. You cannot be, just, you just can't be grateful. Yes. Because when you're grateful to be there, yes. the, way you, the way you participate and the yes. way you engage yes. is dramatically different yes. from someone who believes that they should be there, that so they've true. earned the, the right and the chops, and mm. they've earned the, not the, the right, but you know, that they've built yeah. something yes. that has, you know, that, you know, that they've earned, the, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever yes. makes other people qualify to be there. Absolutely. The same thing that makes them qualify Absolutely. to be there. Love so he, he mm-hmm. told me this unsolicited, and there's no different from what my father used to mm. say to us 30 years, mm. 30 some years ago. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. I love that. I just love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So talk to yeah. women. So 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 this is an interesting point you raised. So following on from that, talk to women about if, for example, they may find themselves stuck in a rut at work or even in life. Talk to them. What is the best way to get out of it and move to the next level? Get out of this rut and keep moving. What would you say to women that find themselves in this position? Let me think. I don't know if I've ever been stuck in a rut myself. <laughs> but I have gone through significant challenges, you know, mm-hmm. on the, per, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I haven't gone through my own, um, you know, challenges as well as professionally, you mm-hmm. know, it has not been, um, you know, a bed of roses wherever mm-hmm. I've gone. Mm-hmm. It's been, some of them have been 
glorious, mm. like just wonderful. And others have, you know, I've had a couple of experiences that nearly broke me, but mm-hmm. I have never been broken. I think that that's the th- that's the key. You mm-hmm. know, when you're kicked, you got to be able to get back up. Mm-hmm. And that has made me a lot tougher. Mm. So my my hope, my my advice, if one is is stuck in a rut, whether you're not quite sure what direction to move in, I have talked to a number of people in this place, mm. is that they just need to keep talking. Hmm. I don't think it solves anything mm. to hold, be holed up in your house or your apartment mm. and, you know, spending all sorts of hours online, you know, just sort of, you know, being stuck. Mm. You have to get out. The only way to, to unstick yourself or to move forward mm. is to engage. Mm. You have to talk to people. You have to force yourself to come out, whether it's to have coffees with people, mm-hmm. to attend conferences mm-hmm. and network. You mm-hmm. have to think creatively, yeah. Yeah. you know, and put yourself in a position where you can creatively work yourself out of the rut. Now, mm-hmm. I say that knowing full well that for some people in a rut, it's much more than talking and right. networking. Right. And those, I think, require taking an, uh, you know, make, basically taking an honest assessment mm. of your situation. If you're stuck in a rut because you simply don't have the credentials, mm. then think about perhaps going to graduate school mm-hmm. or getting your degree or doing whatever you think is necessary mm-hmm. to move you in that direction. In all honesty, every graduate degree is not created equal. Right, that's true. Right? That's true. It, it yeah. very well may be that that master's, while it's appealing, mm-hmm. is not really going to make a big yeah. difference. And you shouldn't yeah. invest your time and exactly. money take, you know, doing it. Yeah. It might be something else. Mm-hmm. I think, but even that requires talking to people. You mm-hmm. still have to figure out what people do mm-hmm. and get advice mm-hmm. and just network your way through mm-hmm. this thing. Because, yeah. you know, my dad always says this to me. I don't know And then I'm Yes. Yeah. Which... I think I'm going to butcher the meaning, but if I can think through the context where he makes those statements, you don't stand in one place to watch a masquerade. And, you know, basically, and watch the masquerade yeah, ahead pass exactly. by. You have to, yeah. you <laughs> you have have to move around. around. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, yeah you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. This has been so wonderful. I just have a, you know, as we start to kind of round it up, I just want to ask a few more questions. What is left for you to conquer, Adeze? What would you like to do or achieve that you haven't yet done? Gosh. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I just, I, I, I feel like I just got started. I mean, my resume is, is strange. It almost, it's, it's got an out-of-body experience feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true. I did do, uh, I have done a few things, and I've mm-hmm. been very, very blessed. Mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. Um. A friend of mine, one of my oldest friends, who's been friends since undergrad, told me that when we were sophomores or something in college, that I looked at her and said, I'm going to be a university president, which I thought was so ridiculous. I was like, there's no way I could have said that. She's like, I wish I had recorded you, but you did. (laughs) And, you know, I don't see myself being a university president, but Mm. my career has also been totally unpredictable, so I don't know what the future holds. Yeah. All I, my, my dreams are simple. Mm. I want to raise my children mm. to be successful human beings. Mm. Not, I'm not motivated by money. I want mm-hmm. them to be successful people, mm-hmm. decent human beings, mm-hmm. and, you know, productive members of society. Mm-hmm. 
you know, nurture my friendships. I have such an amazing group of friends. Mm-hmm. My friendships, which include, of course, of course my siblings and yeah. my relatives. Yeah. Um, and that's, that really makes me happy. And, you know, and I read a lot. So if I can just keep reading, I, won't, I don't want to lose my, my eyesight. Mm. You know, just be healthy and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in the work I do. Uh, but in the people that I'm surrounded by. Mm. The rest, I think, is history. You know, yes. I have, the the public sector always calls me, so it's likely, maybe, that if an opportunity comes along at some point, perhaps in a different administration, yeah. I might join the government again yeah. to, to see what I can do. Because mm-hmm. public service is really, public service always tugs at me. Mm. That's just where my heart is. Mm. Um, and it's it's been like that since, since I can remember, since mm. eighth grade, I remember exactly where I was sitting, where I realized this is what I want. I want wow. to be in that space. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, I know. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. It it's, is. Um, it's, it's <laughs> it is. Because I think of myself as scattered. I think yeah. of myself as sometimes I'm like, why can't I just be, just, why can't I just say I want to be a dermatologist or no. something and just stick to it? But yeah. no, I, that's just not me. Yes. It, it's, it's diverse, but it's still pretty public service focused for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I like thinking about questions that apply to the broadest number of us, mm. especially the most vulnerable among yeah. us. That's yeah. that's where that's what tugs at my heart. Yeah. So wow. if I can do that in some way, shape, or form, I'll be happy. Mm, that's great. That's great. What have you learned from some of the toughest points of your life? What would you say you've learned? It sounds like you've learned tenacity and you've just become tougher. Um, but maybe I'm, you know, do you have anything else to add to that? I have learned that I've learned those two that I have. Uh, when the time calls for, I probably exercise, I guess what you call grit. Yeah. Maybe yeah. more than most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I have also learned that failure is a necessary part of success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that anybody just, whenever you see someone just sort of shining or just sort of gliding Mm. through life, I I don't, I don't believe that they haven't seen failure. If they Mm -hmm. haven't, then I, then I'm, I find the whole thing suspect to begin with. Yes. Um, Because I think the two just go hand in hand. You Mm -hmm. have to try, which, which by the way, it means you have to try. Mm -hmm. You have to try have to dare you have to get in the ring mm. you know I'm, I'm reading a book called daring greatly by Brene Brown which mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. reading mm-hmm. and you know um it that that notion that you have to get in the ring you have to get beat up yourself mm. you have to take your shots not beat up physically obviously <laughs> but you got to take your shot yes. you know you have to defend something you have to not I'm not I don't mean this in the most antagonistic way mm-hmm. or as antagonistic as it sounds but mm-hmm. You have to be willing to get in the ring and mm. to try, which means you have to, you're going to fail from yeah, time to time. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. think that that's what I've learned mm-hmm. is to be fearless. Mm-hmm. Just put one foot forward and give it a shot. Mm. Don't tell them no mm-hmm. before they've had a chance to review. That's another lesson from my parents. Mm. You see something, you want to go for it, but you're scared. Mm. You still have to put your foot forward, put your name for consideration, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. denying yourself, mm. what had a chance to consider you, which is what you do if you don't put your name forward, yes. Yes. right? Yes. So it's yes. a big lesson for me. Yeah. Is yeah. 
Yes. Piñaca again. Yes. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Yes. Go for it. Just yes. go for it. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. Any other books that you would recommend or resources? Oh, um, well, The Gift of Imperfection, her yes, other book, exactly. I would also recommend. Yes, I love that. Um, Daring Greatly just yeah. happened. And I've read both and mm-hmm. I don't happen. I have, you know, I happen to be reading that one. Mm-hmm. I think for the people who are stuck in a rut um, or just have a hard time getting out of their own way, it's funny. I read Shonda Rhimes' book a while ago, uh, oh, yeah. The Year of Yes. Year of Yes, yeah, yeah. The Year of Yes, I think, really resonated with a lot of people. I liked it. I, mm-hmm. I don't suffer from, you know, the, I, I don't have that issue, but I can still relate to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I loved it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I think, quite frankly, you know, aside from the self-help books, just figuring out what genre, you know, makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. that you like. I'm a big reader. I'm an avid reader. Mm-hmm. So I read, and I never left African literature. I, yeah. I'm always reading, mm-hmm. you know, the books that come from our world or from mm-hmm. the Caribbean mm-hmm. or African American uh, authors. Mm-hmm. Just you know, black, black history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both from the continent, mm-hmm. from the diaspora, from mm-hmm. the United States, Brazil. Mm-hmm. I read it all mm-hmm. because that's just what I just can't get enough. Yes. So I, you know, I'm like. But that's my escape, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so figuring out what it, it is that makes you happy, that's, that's beyond work, mm-hmm. that's just joy, mm-hmm. I think is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. This has been absolutely amazing. The time has just flown by. I want to say a wow. huge yeah. thank you, Adeze. Am I saying it right? Adeze, Adeze. <laughs> I you say, say it like somebody from Emo. <laughs> yes, exactly. For us, none of us is Adeze. Adeze. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank some you. Time. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> What an incredible discussion that was with Adeze. Please visit this episode's show notes to see the books that Adeze recommended. To access the show notes, please go to our website at www.theebo.com. Don't forget to like the Ebo Initiative on Facebook and please follow us on Instagram at Ebo Initiative. Also, please tell your friends about the show. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.